Our scripture this morning comes from the sixth chapter of the gospel according to Mark, verses 1 through 13. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deeds of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any, and if any will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So it is the first Sunday of the month, and that means once again, it is time for our very weird segment of worship that has developed, Weird Confessions with Pastor Trey. It has become a near-monthly occurrence where I stand up on the stage and admit something rather embarrassing about myself um, in front of several dozen people every Sunday or every few Sundays. My therapist believes this is a healthy practice, so everything is fine. Um, and so now here is this month's installment of Weird Confessions with Pastor Trey. For most of my life, I have been weirdly obsessed with the Founding Fathers. Like, weirdly obsessed with the Founding Fathers, to the point where I made major life decisions based on just how much I liked the Founding Fathers. Not only did my weird thing for the Founding Fathers lead me to get a 95% on the AP U.S. History test, which, if you've ever taken that test, a perfect score is a 70%. You get a five, which is a perfect score in AP speak, if you get 70% of the questions right. I got a letter from the AP board saying, you got 95% of the questions right. That's how much I loved the founding fathers. On top of that, I made my college decision, not because of something that God told me, but because some of the founding fathers went to the college I wanted to go to. So I went to the College of William & Mary, specifically because Jefferson and Washington and Monroe all went there in one capacity or another. And then when I was at William & Mary, I studied, studied political revolution because I loved the American Revolution so much, I wanted to learn how to overthrow other governments, specifically using the internet. 
In some ways, the first 20 years of my life were not perhaps defined by my following of Jesus, but by my weird obsession with the founding fathers of these United States. So I was kind of excited when it turns out that the 4th of July was on a Sunday this year. Um, and so we're going to double down. We're going to talk about, a, about one of my weird obsessions, which is for once not comic books and pop culture, but is history related. Does this make me any more normal? No! But we're stuck together at this point. The roots of independence, which is what we celebrate today, right? Today is our Independence Day. Fun fact, didn't actually happen on July the 4th. Um, it either happened on July the 2nd uh, when the resolution was certified or happened on August 19th when the thing that Nicolas Cage keeps trying to steal from the National Archives was actually signed. That was not ready until August 19th. Uh, John Hancock signed the resolution on July the 2nd. Doesn't really matter. Well, this is about independence, which we celebrate on July 4th. Don't let the facts get in the way of a fun holiday. But the roots of it didn't start in June of 1776. The first person to really get out there and start pushing hard to the American public and thus to the Second Continental Congress to, for independence to be a thing was not Thomas Jefferson, but was another guy named Thomas. It was Thomas Paine who wrote his essay, Common Sense. And in Common Sense, he lays out that it is essentially common sense that America, which was not what it was called then, should break away from the British Empire. And he made a lot of arguments. Part of his argument is King George is absolutely bad and is never going to change. Part of it was grounded in uh, Enlightenment philosophy. Folks like John Locke and all those other things you definitely remember from AP U.S. History because I got a 95. Ask me anything about John Locke. I got it on, on Locke, as it turns out. Very clever what I did. But the other argument he made, and spent an extended amount of time, is a scriptural argument. Specifically, arguing from 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is, Samuel has gotten a uh, message from God. Um, God does not want to give the people a king, because earthly kings are bad. God is sitting up in heaven going, yes, I have heard that the Israelites, these Israelites want their, you know, they want to get their eyebrows pierced, right? They're rebellious teenagers. They want their eyebrows pierced. They want a king. I've heard they want to be like all of the other nations and get their eyebrow pierced, but they are supposed to be different from every other nation. But if they want it, here we go. But what 1 Samuel chapter 8 lays out is just how bad it's going to go for them because God is supposed to be their king. God is actually all that they need, and anything else is going to be a human and thus fallible. And so they talk, Samuel lays out that, you know, a lot of your people are going to die unnecessarily because kings get greedy sometimes, and there are going to be way more taxes than absolutely are needed because kings get greedy sometimes, and there are going to be all of these problems that your nation will have because kings are fallible, and I, the Lord, am not. But if you want that, fine, here you go. And so what Thomas Paine argues in Common Sense 
is one of the reasons why the, the, the United States, which the colonies at the time, should break away from the British Empire, is because humans were never meant to follow an earthly king. It's because humans were only ever meant to follow God as their king, and then hear from God and serve one another, not serve an earthly king. That you're supposed to care for your neighbor as God instructed you. You're supposed to look to one another, for we are all equal in the eyes of God, equal deserving God's love, and equally called upon to share God's love and care. We are not supposed to look down on anyone. Instead, we are supposed to care and care alike as God loved us. And this spirit of reorienting the universe from looking up at a king and saying, yes, I will do what you say, to looking out at everyone else and saying, I care for you and you care for me and we serve each other, we serve the common good. That is a fundamental reorientation of the political universe. But it comes grounded in scripture, grounded in how what God made us to be, to be followers of God and lovers of our neighbor, right? What is, you know, Jesus asked us to sum up the whole law and prophets. And what is it? Uh, love God with the whole heart. Nothing, you know, love all God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. King doesn't need to get involved in that. And that spirit shows up in the Declaration of Independence that gets certified by John Hancock on July the 2nd. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are all equal in the eyes of God, we are all equally deserving in the eyes of God, and we are all called upon to serve one another in the eyes of God. And so isn't that spirit? that the soldiers took up arms at Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill and all of the subsequent battles. And it is that spirit that the founding fathers lived out their lives, not to enrich themselves, but to set free their fellow countrymen um, from around the 13 colonies. There's a great story that is probably not true, but it's also really funny um, that when John Hancock signed the Declaration of Independence, he said, now we must all hang together. And Ben Franklin looked up at him and went, yes, for we most certainly will hang separately. They banded together and they took a huge risk, not for their own sakes, but for the sake of others, for the sake that all may be free. And for the sake that all may be free, George Washington hands his sword over to Congress at the end of the war saying, no, I'm not going to make myself a king Either I'm going to go home to my farm. You keep making me president, but eventually I'm going to go home to my farm because I did this to serve and not to be served. The founding fathers certainly stand as a stark example of what it means to serve and not be served, to care about our common humanity, not to be worshipped as gods or kings. But certainly they are not the ones who originated that. No, that originally comes from God, and they followed in God's example. And when Christ walked the earth for the few years that he did, we got to see a glimpse. What would it be like if God were our earthly king? What should it be like for anyone who follows after God? How should they behave? What example 
should they follow it? And the example that we have to follow is one of deep self-sacrifice. We think a lot about Jesus dying on the cross, which is an incredible example of that self-sacrifice. But that sacrifice was actually ongoing throughout his entire earthly existence, him coming down at all, right? Can you imagine being, you know, anyone who's ever had a hard time coming back from vacation, right? Imagine living in heaven for all of eternity and then coming back to earth, right? Coming down to earth. That's a heck of a coming back from Aruba and having to get, go back to work, right? So, not, so his very presence on earth was a sacrifice. But he also endured deep pain and personal rejection as he walked the earth for the people he came to serve. And we see like a really weirdly specific example of that here in Mark chapter 6 when he's there preaching to his hometown, the, you know, his youth group leader and the lady who ran his Sunday school, his synagogue school, and the, you know, all of the people he grew up with. Not only do they reject him, they even put in a dig at his mother. Um, picking up in, excuse me, verse 3 through 5, 6, whatever, 3 through 6. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And, they, and he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. What Christ suffered on the cross is astounding, right? It's an incredible sacrifice. But how many of us have ever felt that pain, that stab of social rejection? Someone that's known you, someone that's caring, cared about you, instead rejects you and then implies um, that your mother um, is somewhat unpure, right? So Jesus rightly should have been called son of Joseph. Joseph may well have passed away at this point. We don't know. But Joseph completed that adoption in naming Jesus. Jesus was rightly Jesus, Yeshua ben Yosef, you know, Jesus, son of Joseph. To say Jesus, son of Mary, was to say, we don't really know who your father is, but we know who your mother is. And that's an insult on Jesus, and it's an insult on Mary, who is amazing and perfect, and no one should ever insult Mary. I will fight them. Also, side note, let us unpack how weird it is that Jesus is both betrayed by a guy named Judas and had a brother named Judas. That's just Strange historical coincidence. We're going to set that aside. That is not the point of today's story. It may be the only thing you remember, but it's not the point of today's story. Jesus had a brother named Judas. They reject him. And he goes through it. And he doesn't start zapping them. You're a cow. You're a frog. You're dead. I just blew up your house. That's gone too. Boom. He has the power to do that. It's Jesus. Just as he could have zapped all the Roman soldiers and jumped off the cross and ran away skipping. He didn't. He chose to bear that indignity, chose to bear that rejection for us, for the people who were rejecting him, for the people who were inflicting that indignity upon him. If we're looking for what it means to be a king, 
from the earthly behavior of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, mighty God, Lord of everything. It is to bear the pain and suffering on behalf of others, to serve rather than be served. And certainly when he commissions the 12 in the next breath, essentially, and sends them, them out into ministry as well, having set the example, look, you can't say I was well, wasn't willing to do it. I did it. You will experience, you'll take the power I give you to do the same thing. You too may face some of this rejection because ministry be like that sometimes. But if we are to follow in the example of Christ, it is a generosity of spirit and it is a willingness to bear things for others, not stand on high, look down and wish to be worshiped and adored. Although we should certainly give our praises to God, but we, why we give our praises to God easy in part because of the example of sacrifice and service that Jesus brought about in his earthly life. But I, I want us to look at one last part of the scripture. And it's Jesus' instructions about what the people are that he is sending in ministry are to take. Picking up at verse 8. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. How were they going to eat? Where were they going to sleep? If their clothes get ripped, how are they going to get another tunic? I get you take a walking stick because you got to fight off the wild dogs and the wild boars and the wild people trying to jump you. And, and I get you need a decent pair of shoes. I've walked in the Holy Land. It's a bunch of rocks. You don't like, you don't want to do that barefoot if you don't have to. But how are they going to eat? Where they were going to sleep. How was this ministry going to get done? Certainly some of these people need to like step out and be willing to go on that journey. But there had to be people on the other side of them. Helping and supporting and funding the show. Turns out that even then, God's pocketbook was our pocketbook. The budget for ministry comes from the believers who want to see that ministry happen. In this case, in that time, it was welcoming in the first disciples, making sure they didn't starve to death, making sure they didn't bleed to death, making sure they weren't, you know, cut up and torn and beaten down. It was welcoming they, them in and quite literally tending to the ministry because at that phase, Christian ministry looked like a a lot like pure evangelism. Get out there and share the word. And yet, Christian ministry has grown from pure evangelism to evangelism and missions and Bible studies and worship services and all sorts of things. But the one fundamental truth remains that the pocketbook that supports the ministry is the pocketbook God places in our back pockets every day. And so this generosity thing, this generosity and service thing, isn't just about some abstract thing of feeling good about what Jesus did for us, although you should, 
Or isn't it wonderful that the early disciples were willing to do that too? That falls down on us as well. That we are called upon to be generous and serve. As Christ was generous and served. And we are called upon to do that with the things that come easily to us. You can pray at any moment. And so you can always say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And that's important. And you can show up, you can manage to show up to church and scrub behind your ears. And I didn't shine my shoes, so I'm going to cheat. Uh, not shine your shoes. But you're also called upon to give what you don't have a lot of. Your time. Your finances. So that the work of God happens. When we think about the founding fathers of this country, we think about how they gave of themselves on behalf of future generations. And one of the reasons we're going to, we sing, of being proud to be an American is because of the work they did and the work that the generations that come after them did and the work that generations after that, on and on and on and on and on. But the same is true in the church, but even more so. We are here because generations were moved by God to give often of what they did not have much of, to do remarkable things and to pass that torch forward and to expand the boundaries of the kingdom of God. And so that is why we as a church hold this value that say, excuse me, that you can't outgive God. Because Christ has given so much for us, and we're never going to equal that. But we are meant to be inspired by that generosity, convicted by that generosity, to turn around and do the same for others, to be generous, yes, with our time, yes, with our prayers, yes, with where we show up, and yes, with our finances as well. It's not about paying bills or, you know, buying $300,000 chandeliers, although I'm not against it. Call me after class. It's about following the example that was set for us by the only true and just king there has ever been. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ with the power of God's Spirit that is indeed what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Christ has given to us generously. May we give generously in turn. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.